Good morning, Grapevine. We are thrilled to be here. I can't see without the glasses. I can't see with tears in my eyes. When we were here in December the 29th, is that the time? When were we here? December. We were here in December. And uh, we sat right over here. And I was having a spell. And uh, I'll tell you now, part of what God did was I sat down here and we pastored our church for 26 years. sit there and it's like God said you're home now for 26 years I've been in another home and that overwhelmed me when God spoke that into my soul but uh, I'm glad he did because I've been amazed at how God has just transitioned my heart to here. Because I didn't think that would be possible with my kids and our family and everything back in East Tennessee. But God's got a plan. Have you ever wondered for yourself, what does God plan for you? And maybe you have an idea and maybe you've watched too much stuff on TV and you've got this idea that you're going to be the greatest there ever was and you're going to have your, all your ambitions fulfilled. But uh, God's plan sometimes is not our plan. Have you figured that out yet? And have you figured out that God's plan is always in agreement with his word? See, and so when I ask you, what's God's plan for your life? What's the desire of God for your heart? I, I want to ask you what it is, but you give me a biblical reason why you think that. Because if you don't have a biblical basis for why you're thinking what you're thinking, then it's not Christian. Because you see, you have to go back to the Word of God, everything that goes through your mind. Tell me what the biblical basis for whether I'm saying what I'm saying, I'm thinking what I'm thinking. Because God has a plan. And not only for your life personally, God has a plan for Grapevine Baptist Church also. And I'm just a part of that, just like you are. But man, He's got a plan. And what I've envisioned is not just some little, God did not call us here 300 miles away from everybody we know, love, and care about to pastor some mediocre dead church. I mean, I mean, he didn't say, here, leave everything behind and come out here and, and just, 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 yeah, and we're going to have hardships and we're going to have difficulties. I understand that. I got that. But, but, but I believe God's up to something. And, and I don't really understand it all now, but God is up to something. And I'm part of that. Char's part of that. You're part of that. But we've got to be in that position where God says, I can use you now. And sometimes in the process of getting us useful, God has to sand us down. God has to refine us. God has to discipline us. God God has to take us and make us into the men, women, boys, and girls of faith that he wants us to be, that he will enable us to be. He's got a plan. Amen. 
And see, what it is, I've got to get in line with his plan. I've got to make an alignment of my life to his will. You ever drive a car that's out of alignment? I mean, really bad out of alignment. I mean, I get used to one that's not too bad out of alignment. My wife will tell you that. So get that front end alignment. Get that front end. It ain't that bad, honey. It ain't that bad. But you get one where you're just having to hold it like this all the time just to go straight. See, see, God says, you have to align your life with it. See, God does not align himself with us. We've got this idea that, that, that God's going to align with whatever we want, whatever we think, whatever we wish. God says, you are to align yourself with me. And when you get in a line with me, you position yourself whereby I can work in your life in a way you've never understood before, in a way you've never dreamed before. But you've got to get in a line. You've got to get an agreement with me. And sometimes... It's through tough stuff, isn't it? Sometimes it's through suffering and pain and sickness. Sometimes. But God says, I've got a plan. And he's working out the plan. Now, my heart beats for revival. Not just in a local church, but throughout a community, throughout a country. But revival starts personally in your life and it starts personally in my life. Because if I cannot be touched by God, revived by God personally, I'm not going to know the corporate move of God with the body of Christ. It has to be a personal thing where I engage, I encounter God and he works, he changes, he works in me, renews me, gives me new life, gives me new vigor, gives me new hope. And that's why I love the book of Ezekiel. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Probably one of my most favorite chapters in the Bible is chapter 37 of Ezekiel. And most of you know the story of this chapter in the book of Ezekiel because it's an exciting chapter. And it reads there in Ezekiel, chapter 37, beginning with verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Now, now hang on there a second. Do you know anything about that? Do you know anything about the hand of Almighty God being upon your life? Do you know anything about the hand of God undergirding your life? Do you know anything about God touching you in such a fashion whereby you know He is in control of your life? Because that's where Ezekiel was, and that's where we've got to come to. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord. And He set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. And caused me to pass round about. And behold, there were many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones. And say unto them, O oh, ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. There's power in the word of God. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power from Almighty God on high. When we yield to his word, we yield to his touch. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and ye will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied. And prophecy, my friends, hear me. Prophesying is not fortune telling. It is forth telling of what the Word of God says. 
It is foretelling of what the Word of God says. He said, prophesy unto these bones. And I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. And bone came together, bone to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them. And the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. There was a lot of movement. There was a lot of activity. There was a lot of noise. But there was no life. We can have a whole lot of noise and not have life. Then he said unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, say unto the wind, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And then he said unto me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus says the Lord God. Behold, oh my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, that I have opened your graves. Oh, my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And I shall put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I shall place you in your own land. And then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Man, isn't that exciting? I mean, you start reading this chapter, you see the hand of God moving on God's prophet. You see the power of God moving on God's people. You see resurrection life coming forth. You see the anointing of God flowing. You see God demonstrating him and bringing Israel back to a living, mobile, excited people of faith. But it didn't start there. Because when you read chapter 37, we're all excited about what God is doing. But to understand chapter 37, you've got to go back to chapter one, because that's where we're introduced to the preacher Ezekiel in chapter one. And see, that's the whole key to the question is, what is God's plan for your life? What is God's desire for your life? What is God's plan for Grapevine Baptist Church? Because you see, to understand that, you and I have got to understand the same thing that Ezekiel understood. How do we fit into that plan? Because Ezekiel, he knew that God had called him. He knew that God's hand was upon him. He knew that God had set him aside. And he knew that how he lived and he knew his yieldingness to the Father had impact on the whole country. And do you realize that your world walk with God and how you yield him it has impact on those around you it has impact on this church and so we have to understand just like Ezekiel did what was it that was required for Ezekiel to understand that he could be useful to God and isn't that what you want I hope so I hope if you're a blood-bought child of the king that you want to be in a position where you are useful unto the Father. I don't want to be some little trinket that they set up on a shelf and all it does is gather dust. And say, boy, look at that. That looks nice, doesn't it? But all it is is a dust collector. You all got any of those? We got less of them than we had three weeks ago. I'll tell you that right now. We've been throwing out, cleaning out all kinds of things. But see, I want to be like that old cup. That old cup that's used all the time. And it might be beaten and it might be have some dents in it. But man, you go to it every day and you dip it down in that well and you get cool, refreshing water of life in Jesus Christ. I want to be that person that's useful to the Father. I want to be made into the image of Christ Jesus. And there's a cost that it requires. But he says, I'll use you for my glory, my kingdom, and I'll use you corporately as a body of believers. What's it take? Well, look what it says in chapter 1. I'm not preaching 36 chapters, but look at chapter 1. 
Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, that I, Ezekiel, was among the captives by the river Kabar, and the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. You see, before Ezekiel could ever be used by God, before you will ever be used by God in a significant matter, before I will ever be used by God in any significant way, I have got to understand where I am. I have got to understand what it is that I may be in captivity to. I have to understand what it is that I am in bondage to. And Ezekiel, you saw what it said. He said, I was among the captives. And what I find today in churches across America is there's so many people who are born again. They profess faith in Christ, but they're in captivity to something other than Jesus. They're in captivity to drugs. They're in captivity to alcohol. They're in captivity to material things. They're in captivity to stuff. They're in captivity to relationships that are not healthy. But they're not captivated by Christ and captured by Him. And see, before you can ever get honest or useful, you've got to get honest with where are you in your faith? What is it that stirs you? Is it the things of God or the things of the world? What are you in captivity to? What holds you in bondage? Because if you won't admit that, as far as you go. And Ezekiel is, I'm in captivity. See, Israel went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Jerusalem was destroyed. And I don't know when Ezekiel was in this time frame. Whether he was 30 years old or 40 years old or how old was he. But he acknowledged, I am in captivity. And if you read the entire book of Ezekiel, what you find it said is that they were in captivity to Assyria. They were in captivity to Ephraim. They were in captivity to their lovers. They were in captivity to their slayers. They were in captivity to their enemies. They were in captivity to Nebuchadnezzar. You read through the whole book and it talks about they were in captivity too. And my question to you is, as you examine your life in light of God's Word, in light of wanting to know what God wants in your life, what's to do in your life and in this church, what is it you are captured by what is it you're in captivity to because until you get honest and confess those things you'll miss it because it's not going to be simply automatic and once he acknowledged what he was in captivity to look what it says there at the latter part of verse one and the heavens were opened and i saw visions of god When he got honest in his confession of his sin, when he got honest in confession of his his life, he encountered the living God. Do you understand that God wants to encounter your life day in and day out? You understand God wants to be real in your life day in and day out. But the only way that that's going to happen is on your side and my side is when we get honest with ourselves and we get honest with God and we make honest confession of whatever it is and the things that we are being captured by. There's an old preacher named Gypsy Smith. And Gypsy Smith, he... He took a piece of chalk and he got down and he, he drew a circle around his, his body inside that circle of chalk. And he prayed, God, revive everything inside that circle. And guys, that's where we got to start. 
It's not enough to say, God, revive my spouse. If she gets right with God, it's just going to be all okay. You got to start with yourself. You got to start with you, where you are, who you are. And you got to come before the Father in honest confession. And when you get serious with God and you get honest with the Father, what happens is this personal revival can ignite inside of your life. And as personal revival ignites in your life and your brother's life and your sister's life, what happens? It begins to stir corporately because God says, I want to move. I want to demonstrate. I want to raise up my people, a mighty army, mobile, able to serve me, able to stand for it. But it takes you and I getting honest. And then, and then thirdly, look what it says. It says in verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, see, here's what happened. See, he got honest with where he was. He got honest about, about what his need was. He made honest confession unto the Father, and he encountered the living God. The heavens opened, and he saw visions of God. And then all of a sudden, this all because there was a demonstration of faith. The Word came expressly to Ezekiel. It's the Word of God coming expressly to you. Is God speaking right now into your heart by the proclamation of the Word of truth? Because that's how faith comes, and faith can build us up, and faith can take us all the way way we've got to understand there's got to be a demonstration of faith and faith is believing what God said but it's beyond just intellectually agreeing with it it's bearing it deep down inside our heart whereby we live it out we don't understand it and we don't always feel pleasant during the process but we live our lives out to the very glory of God he demonstrated faith the word came expressly to Ezekiel and God's faith is a gift I can't faith without the Holy Spirit, can you? I don't have the ability to faith without the Holy Spirit. But he comes and he moves upon me and faith is released by him to me. And I respond to God. And faith comes. And then look what it says. And the hand of the Lord was upon him there. That's the same thing it said in chapter 37. He was carried by the Spirit as the hand of the Lord was upon him. See, you have to be captured by God. Now what's captured you? What do you give your, your, your time, your attention, your, 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 your earnestness to? What has captured you? George Whitfield, that great old preacher of old, when he would stand to preach, he would stand in silence waiting for the Holy Spirit just to move on his life whereby he could pray or preach with unction. He was captured by God. Ezekiel, he was captured. He was controlled. He knew the power of God upon his life. He knew the authority of God upon his life. And, 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 and you need to understand, you're going to be captured by something. And you have a child of God, you've got to make yourself constantly yielded to the Father, whereby you are captured by Him. That, that phrase goes back to Nehemiah chapter 2, where Nehemiah says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. See, Nehemiah, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't a preacher. Nehemiah was a career man. Nehemiah, he was a layman. And there he found himself in Babylon. And he had never been in Jerusalem. He never knew the former glory of the temple. But when 
when word came that Jerusalem was lying in reproach and it was lying in ruins, it broke his heart and it stirred him. And all of a sudden, he said, Lord, use me. And God raised up a career man, sent him back to do what had not been done in 70 years. They did it in 52 days. That's a hard thing to get my arms around. We sit back for 70 years and say, we can't do this. And they did it in 52 days. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was upon it. And the good hand of his God was upon it. When was the last time you had the good hand of God upon your life? And it drove you like it did Nehemiah to go out and to share. You see, Nehemiah got up when he got back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night when nobody was around and nobody was watching. He went out and he started surveying the city. He started surveying the ruins. He started surveying the destruction that had taken place. And when he got back... Everybody said, where have you been? What's going on? And he started to tell them. And he said, the good hand of my God is on me. And all of a sudden, the people, they said, yes, we support you. But it broke him. And he was driven. He was, he was captured by the fire. What is it that you're captured by? What is it that, that you're passionate about? What is it that just burns inside of you? See, see, let me... What God is trying to do, he's trying to birth inside of you, he's trying to birth inside of me a burden. Now, now do you know what a burden is? Most all of us in this room, we know what a burden is. We are burdened for our children. We are burdened for our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. We are burdened for our wives, for our husbands. We are burdened for our families. We are burdened about our job. We are burdened about our country. We are burdened about all kinds of stuff. But guys, what Nehemiah is showing, what we are seeing here, is God is trying to birth his burden inside of your life and inside of my life. And it doesn't come just by you having these natural concerns in life that we all have. It comes when you get right with God. You get close with God. You get clean with God. And he starts to birth inside of you where you start seeing through his eyes and you start feeling through his heart and you look at people and you think heaven or hell, saved or lost, where are they going when they die? And what am I doing about it? Am I living in such a way that they want to know what I have? Am I being salt whereby they want to be thirsty to the very water of life? Am I burdened as I birth by God? You see, you can't work that up yourself. God has to birth it inside of you. And it only happens when you yield to his control. You yield to his touch. You allow your life to be touched by him because unless you do that, it's just flesh. Well, pray for my, pray for my family. You know, they just don't really walk with Jesus. And, and it just rolls off your lips just like water off a duck's back. But you ain't on your face on the altar squalling out to the Father saying, Oh God, I can't take it no longer. See, God bursts that inside your heart. And all of a sudden when he shares his burden with you, you start seeing from his perspective. You start seeing out of his eyes, feeling with his heart. That's what he said in the book of Malachi chapter 1. It says, and the burden of the word of the Lord unto Malachi. He knew the burden of God's word. He knew the burden of what God had spoken inside himself. And Ezekiel, he was burdened. What for? Well, in Ezekiel 37, it says he was burdened for the deadness of the people of God. Are you burdened for the deadness of the people of God? Because guys, just turn on the news. And then realize the church's responsibility to be light in darkness. Do you have a burden? 
See, burden comes by revelation of God. When you're yielded unto him, it comes by revelation of God. And when God starts to reveal it, you start seeing from his eyes. You start observing as he would have you observe. And what happens when you have revelation from God and you start observing, you have the observation that he stirs inside of you. It drives you to intercession. It drives you to praying. We talk about prayer. But do you know anything of the silence of prayer? Do you know what it is to get on your face before God and you can't even speak? And you just lay before the Father. And you have utterances and groanings that you cannot even express because you're so heavy hearted and burned. That's a good place to be, though it doesn't feel good at the time. Because you know I can't fix this. I cannot control this, God. But I'm coming before you asking God that you would just give wisdom in this situation. Oh, God, intervene supernaturally. Oh, God, do only what you can do. And we lay there before God in silence. And the silence of prayer just goes into the heavens. But, but, but we don't have time for that, do we? We've got our prayer list. And I have a prayer list. And we're great at doing a lot of talking to God, but we don't seem to be too good at listening to what he would say. You realize how many times Ezekiel talked to God in this book? Best I can count is three. But 168 times it says, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, or thus saith the Lord to Ezekiel. So you've got about 168 references to God speaking to Ezekiel, but you've only got three times when Ezekiel responds to God. And two of them, he was responding and said, Lord, you're going to kill everybody? But only one time did God ask him a question. He said, can these bones live? And you know what Ezekiel said? He said, Lord, only you know. He didn't even presume on that, did he? And then God said, Ezekiel, preach the word of God. Pray. But Ezekiel had been captured first. Have you been captured by God? Have you encountered God? Have you got honest with God about where you are? in your life and what is it that's holding you in bondage and holding you back and then it says in chapter 2 in verse 1 it says and he said unto me son of man stand upon thy feet and I will speak unto thee and the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me you can't be afraid of the Holy Spirit guys the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of the Father in your life. And right here you see the Spirit. in. There was this complete, utter surrenderance of Ezekiel to the Spirit of God. And Ezekiel, when he surrendered to that Spirit of God, there was a continuing working of the Spirit in his life. It says in chapter 3, the Spirit lifted me. It says in chapter 11, the Spirit fell on me. It says in chapter 37, and the Spirit brought me. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Do you know what the first work of the Holy Spirit is in your life? Same first work is in my life. 
He wants me to feel good. Is that it? No. The first work of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction of sin. Does that feel good? No. But guys, that's a gift. Because I'm not smart enough and you're not either to even understand sin without the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin. See, the Holy Spirit, He brings conviction of sin. He brings conviction of lostness. You have to know you're a sinner before you can meet a Savior. And if you don't know you're lost, you can never be saved because you've got to know you're a sinner before you can be saved. And the Holy Ghost will convict you of sin. He will convict you. And if you ever sat in church as the preacher's preaching under the unction of the Holy Spirit of God, and all of a sudden, this miserable feeling of conviction comes in my life, and you're saying, who told him about me? Has he been living at my house? house has been, been watching he's been reading my mail who told him what's been going on in my life and you've got this misery and all you can think about is get out of this place and you get out of here and it don't do you no good because when you get out of here, that holy ghost doesn't leave you alone he keeps on bothering you he keeps on disturbing you he keeps on moving on your life why because he's convicted you for a purpose because he loves you well it sure don't feel like he's loving me oh he loves you he loves you And then he says the Holy Spirit will convict you of righteousness. Yeah, he gets to show me how good I am. No! When you think, Lord, I've really got this stuff going on. I just got this one under control. See, see, we missed it. He convicts us of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus' righteousness, which was imputed to us and imparted to us because our righteousness is but filthy rags. It is useless. See, see, when we think, oh, I'm just really good, we really ain't. Because, see, that's what the Holy Spirit, he convicts of righteousness. The Spirit, that Jesus is right. And this is the Spirit convicts of judgment. There is a judgment that is coming. And it's closer to some than it is others. But there is a judgment that is coming. But see, the work of the Holy Spirit, we are completely dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And when we live in rhythm with the Holy Spirit, we walk in harmony with God. We live, my friends, walking in the Spirit and we don't fulfill the things of the flesh and we don't desire the things of the world. God is, I've got you to the place where I can use you. I can pour out upon you in a way that, that I've not been able to do in a while. But the first work He's going to do, He's going to bring conviction of sin. And then look what it says in verse 3. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak into the house of Israel. And so I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. You have to take in the word of God. Now, I've talked to my church forever and a day. You need to be reading your Bible from Genesis to Revelation all the way through at least once a year. It takes three or four chapters a day. You'll read this whole book through in a year. And when you get done once, you do it again. And when you get done second time, you do it again. I had a lady this last week. She told me, Mark, I cannot get that done in a year, but I can do it done in three years. And I've done it twice now. I said, hallelujah, you're doing it. You have got to take in the Word of God. You need to take in, you need to meditate on, you need to memorize what Scripture says. You've got to learn to digest Scripture. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 3. He was digesting the Word of God. You know what cattle do? They have four stomachs, do they not? And all of a sudden, one stomach brings it back up and they chew on it a little bit longer. And then they swallow it down and it gets nastier and nastier and they bring it back up and they chew on it a little bit longer. Why? Because 
they're getting every ounce of energy, every ounce of nutrition out of that blade of grass, out of that straw, out of that grain that they've been eating. Why? Because they choose a cud. They keep on processing it. How long do you spend thinking about the Word of God? How long do you spend giving time and attention to the Word of God? Because if it's not getting into your life, you're missing it. You've got to digest it. Here's what happens if you don't process it. And to digest it is processing it. To digest it is I adjust my life, my behavior, my lifestyle to what Scripture says. And if you don't do that, if you just are a casual Bible reader and you come to church and you're really good, you'll have a hard heart. And you won't even know it. Read Mark chapter 6 verse 52. Jesus has been on the mountain praying. He sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And a storm comes up. And Jesus comes walking by because they're terrified. And it says in 52 of Mark 6, they did not understand the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. They failed to process the truth that God was speaking to them in the miracle of the loaves and the fishes and it hardened their heart. And that's what it says. It says they hardened their heart. And most people don't even know that you, you've probably got two-thirds of this congregation. You've got hard hearts. You don't even know it. Now, I'm not naming who you are. I'm just telling you percentage-wise, all right? Because unless you're processing Scripture and adjusting your life to Scripture, hardness of heart comes like a callus on your hand. You get it and you don't even realize you got it. And I'm not trying to condemn anyone, but I'm simply saying straightforward to you, lest you are processing and adjusting to the Word of God, hardness of heart is the consequence. Because the Bible says when we leave here, the devil, he comes as birds of the air to steal the Word of God away from you. And when he steals the Word of God away from you, if you don't have the Word of God, it's of no use to you. And so you've got to constantly be saying, Lord, let me digest your truth. Let me process your truth. Let me take it in and speak to my heart. And let me make whatever adjustments are necessary that my heart is tender and pliable unto you. And then look what it says. Verse 4, and he said unto me, Son of man, go and get thee into the house of Israel and speak with, speak with my words unto them. And verse 17 says, Son of man, I've made thee a watchman to the house of Israel. You have to digest truth because you have a responsibility. And if you don't digest truth, you won't fulfill your responsibility. To God. You'll not achieve what God has called you to achieve. Because your heart will be hard. And he said there, if you go back to verse 7, but the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. He said, but God, they're not going to listen to me. Does that change anything? You obey God, whether people pay attention or not. You obey God whether people respond or not. You preach the Word of God with your life, with your lips. God showed me this 35 years ago. Sharon, I went to West Virginia. We pastored in a storefront. We were church planners. We were in a town of 1,000. The county had 7,000. And the church was a storefront. It was one of those churches you pass by now and you look suspiciously upon. 
You thought, well, I wonder what's kind of propped up over there. Well, that was us. We had 25 metal chairs, 10 people. And God says, you preach regardless. I know one night I preached to Shar and one man. And Lowell was his name. He said, you looked at me more than you looked at her through that sermon, preacher. <laughs> And in another time, it was like that. He said, you know, preacher, I know you've got a load full of grain, but you don't have to feed just two cows or the whole load. <laughs> see, see, but, but see, you, you have a responsibility. Is this making sense to anybody? Before you get to chapter 37, where God pours out in power, you've got to understand what it takes. That goes back to chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, because God is beginning to show us things here. And it starts with, whose burden do you have? Is just a natural burden? Or do you have a burden of God? As you go in Walmart, or you go in Rural King, or you go wherever you go, and you look around, and you think, do these people know Jesus? Do you look at people as lost or saved? Or do you just look at people and say, get out of my way, I'm in a hurry. It, it, it says there in chapter 7, verse 37, verse 1, And the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit, and he set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. It all starts with a concern. Are you concerned about this community? You know, when God starts moving, let me tell you, I honestly believe all God has to do is whisper and everybody in Madisonville will show up. Isn't that what he did in chapter 37? They all showed up. They didn't even have singing. They didn't have any public announcements. They didn't advertise. All God has to do is whisper. But his people have got to be prepared for that whisper. Because if we are not prepared for that whisper, we're going to blow it. But he said to Ezekiel, he said, And he caused me to pass by them, and behold, they were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very light dry. And he said, Son of man, can these bones live? And Sunday after Sunday, God asked that same questions in churches across America. Can these bones live? And how you answer that tells what you believe about God more than anything else. And he said, Lord, only you know. And if you're to have a ministry that's life-giving, if you're to have a ministry that gives resurrection power, touching deadness in people's lives whereby they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ you have to understand God's burden and if you want to be popular if you're wanting to be successful if you're wanting everybody to know your name you will never have such a ministry as God wants to impart to you because God says it's not about you it's about me and you've got to understand your position is beneath me it is always below him and we yield ourselves to him and Ezekiel said Lord thou knowest and all of a sudden God said preach Ezekiel and Ezekiel started preaching and bones started moving and all of a sudden flesh started coming upon them and all of a sudden they looked better but they were still dead. And see, that's where we fall short sometimes, is it not? 
We get the crowd and we look good, but we're still dead in our trespasses and sin. And God said, you don't stop with just preaching. If it were by preaching, America would have been evangelized many, many, many years ago because there's preaching going on all across this land. But hear me. He said, you preach to the deadness. You preach to the bones. You preach, but you pray. He said, prophesy to the wind. You've got to learn how to get on your face before God. You've got to learn how to live pure before your fellow man, pure unto the Father. You've got to learn how to live transparent. You've got to learn to live yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ and all that you are. Why? Because God said, I want to use you. I want to raise you up. But you've got to know my burden. And you've got to preach my word with your life, your lips. But you've got to know how to pray. There is a cost to spiritual power. And it's not going to be found at the blue light special. And it is not found at easy believism. There is a cost where you get alone with God on your face with an open Bible and you say, God, teach me this book. God, show me your truths. And you start taking the word of God and you start praying this word back to the Father. There's a concern you've got to have. You've got to have his burden. Are you burdened? There's a course. You preach, you pray. But there's a consequence. And it says, and they rose up a mighty army on their feet. That was life. That was life. They were you have the life of God in you? Are you available unto the Father? God burned in our hearts a desire for revival because we've seen that on two occasions. I've shared briefly with this to some of you. But our church planned a revival in 2006. We postponed it a week because of some tragedy that happened with a man who was preaching it started the next week Sunday morning we showed up for church just like we're here for church today preacher preached there's one lady walked to the altar bent down to pray walked back to her seat and I'm back there thinking God what's up with this we came back that night we're singing the first song we had a hardwood floor people started streaming out of the pews seats laying on the altar prostrate from one side to the other squalling out to Jesus we hadn't preached we'd sang one song and God started stirring lives of people and people were getting saved and people were getting right and then people said preacher i got to confess my sin we never asked anybody to confess sin publicly they said if I'm ever to be right with God I've got to confess my sin and people would stand and we would try to, to vet them to make sure they weren't going to say anything that would be cause an issue but they would confess terrible sin they would confess things that we, we were ashamed of and I, I think I shared some of you one man said up and said preacher I've confessed my sin he said I've got babies in heaven where I paid for their abortions I said does your wife know this he said no I said you got to tell her before you tell anybody else because you don't have to tell them that he said if I'm ever to be right with God I've got to tell them. because I need God's forgiveness and I need the forgiveness of the people 
so he told his wife and I watched his wife this little wonderful Christian lady and I watched her when he told her I'm standing there and nobody else knows what's going on but she slides all the way down to his feet and she starts embracing his feet and she starts praying for those mothers and those babies now that's a godly woman why would somebody do something so radical because God See, see we, 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 we act like this is optional sometimes. Confession is to be private. Who I've offended, I will go confess and seek forgiveness from. I've always got to go confess to God. But if God says, do it this way, we handle it tactfully. But there's freedom when you obey God. This revival lasted 40 days in our church. People would show up at 8 o'clock in the morning when we opened up the office. They'd come in here. They'd be stretched out, laying, praying. Then they'd get up and go to work. And the next few would come in at 11.30 during lunch. They'd be stretched out, laying and praying. They'd have hankies out, waving them. They'd be testifying. Then they'd show back up at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And we didn't start church till 7 o'clock. And it was just this this move and power and cleansing water coming into our, our, our lives. And for two weeks you had this intensity of this rushing mighty dam bursting forth. And we'd have church till 11 o'clock at night. And then the next day we'd get up and start our Lord. We did it for 40 days. That atmosphere lasted in our church for 11 months. See, I know what it is to, to, to come into the church and, and to get on my face and, and feel like I'm so unfit and I'm so unworthy. I know what it is for my body to sit there and physically tremble in the front seat because of the presence of God. I know what it is where I don't have words to say because God's Spirit is upon me so heavily. All I can do is say, I can't get low enough, God. I can't get down far enough, God. I know what it is for God to shake a place and to shake a people. And that's my prayer. God begins to shake us because when you look at the Bible. You look at the New Testament church, it says they prayed and the place shook. Is anybody shaking in your ministry by your praying? It says that Simon, or that Stephen, he so shook the Roman world there that, that they cut his head off or they stoned him to death. Paul so shook him, they cut his head off. Jesus shook up everybody. They nailed him to a cross. Who's shaking? Anybody? No, we're just sweet and nice, preacher. Yeah, yeah. I agree with sweet and I agree with nice. I'm not always either of those. But I want God to move. And I want God to shake us. And you know what? He starts, he'll start shaking me first. And you'll think he's shaking you first. And you're going to think I'm the only one getting shook. But when we get honest and say, man, God is ringing me, wearing me out. And your brother's going to say, he is doing the same. All of a sudden you start running God's up. Are we in a position to receive it? Bow your head and close your eyes. So what are you expecting God to do? Just because you got a new preacher don't mean you can grow lax. What's your desire? And how does it measure up with the Bible? 
If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never been born again, maybe God has removed the blinders from your eyes and for the first time you know that you know that you know that you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. He's not real to you. Let me encourage you to come to the altar and take an open Bible. We will and show you how you can be saved. Is God speaking to your heart? And maybe you're here and say, Preacher, I, I don't know if I'm to die tonight, I go to heaven, but I know I don't want to go to hell. Is that where you are? You don't know that you're going to go to heaven, but you know you don't want to go to hell. Come to the altar. We can help you with the Word of God, the Word of truth. The Spirit of God will usher you. And maybe you're here and you, you know you're saved, but maybe God's spoken to you today. For some reason, you're saying, I really don't know why He spoke to me, but He has spoke to me. He, he has actually just been all over me, God. Obey. Make your way to the altar. And an altar is to be used it grows in disrepair. But whatever God is saying, you have to obey. Father, we bow before you this morning. God, I pray that you would just take your truth, your Holy Ghost, and begin to even stir more into our hearts. Father, I honestly believe you have not brought us here for naught. I believe, God, you ordained this before the world was formed. And we have just now come to this point, this season. And God, we want to see it as a season for your glory, not for mine, not for anyone personally. But Father, begin to stir us. Begin to shake us, God. Let us have your burden, Father. Let us see through your eyes. Let us feel through your heart. work in our hearts. Either head bows and eyes closed, they're going to sing, the altar's open, won't you obey God? You need to speak to me.